Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. It's a good thing to gather together and come into the house of the Lord and worship Him. And the thing that uh, is in here is we've got uh, companionship with one another. We've got a common goal of worshiping our God this morning. And also the best thing is, is that there is always joy in the house of the Lord. So if you came in and not so joyful this morning, uh, you came to the right place. Because by the time uh, we finish this morning, the joy of the Lord should be abounding in your heart and in your soul this morning. And so we're going to start with a song that simply says that, that there is joy in the house of the Lord because we worship a God who was, who is, and who always will be. Let's stand together and worship our God. Two, three, four. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. We opened the prison doors, departed the raging sea, my God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we want to be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause He hung upon that cross and He rose up from that grave. My God still rolls and goes away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Now, now there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We 
we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.
Joshua, and we're in the chapter where God and Joshua set up the city of refuge. And Pastor Kerry's going to unpack all of that this morning. But our city of refuge, is, as we've been singing, is the cross. So we want to teach you this new song that simply says, Run to the Cross. Yeah. 
So this morning, afresh and anew as we've sung, we give you our life. We surrender all to you. May you be Lord each and every moment of our day. And as we study your word this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you would find your way over to Joshua chapter 20, as we continue learning the lessons that Israel was taught in conquering the land of, of Canaan within this, we come to this topic of the city of refuge within this. One of the aspects that we look at within life is knowing that we have failed, knowing that we have messed up, and in many ways knowing that we're condemned. Is there a place where the condemned individual can find mercy. Where can I find mercy? Now, much in our worship, we've already answered that question, is through the cross. But you think about that place in, in your life when you realize that you've fallen short and you stand condemned before a holy God. God has given us in 
the life of Israel, the nation of Israel, many ways to understand who He is. To display the characteristics of, of God the divine to humanity through His exchange in relationship with the nation of Israel within this. And, and we think about this, this concept. Many of you, when you've been wronged, you pray for justice. Right? How many of you got you want to get even? I want justice. But if you've been the one that's messed up, instead of praying for justice, what do you pray for? Mercy. Mercy. Why? Because you know you've messed up within this. And so we, we pray for justice because we want things to be made even. We want things to be made right. We pray for mercy because we know that we've wronged others. And when we've been wronged, we want justice. And when we've been the one that's been offended, offensive, we want mercy and forgiveness within this. And the glory of God reveals both aspects simultaneously. And, and, and that is something that is really hard to wrap our head around. That God simultaneously will reveal His holy divine justice at the same time revealing mercy within that. And, and He reveals justice because God is a holy God and condemns sin. And, and in his divine justice, he will condemn the sinner to eternal damnation. At the same time, God in his, in his glory reveals his mercy to the condemned sinner, offering that condemned sinner mercy so that he may or she may enter into eternal life. And not be condemned. And you go, well, how does he do that? When you figure it out, let me know. He's God. And his divine justice does not diminish his divine mercy. And his divine mercy does not diminish his divine justice. They're both equal within this. And so what God does in His theocratic authority over the nation of Israel uses Israel as a way to display His glory and the attributes of His glory with, within the context of engaging the nation and setting up the nation in this land that we would call Israel today. God establishes something that is special. In his divine justice, he's judging the Canaanites, is he not? He gave them time to repent. They were, they were a godless society, and, and their sin just continued worse and worse and worse. So the nation of Israel was ushered in to bring divine justice and judgment against the Canaanites, who, through general revelation, didn't even want to acknowledge God and moved away from them. Israel comes into the land, and so they're, they're dealing out divine justice within this. Now, that divine justice is going to be a cornerstone to the nation of Israel, as we're going to see in a moment. But within that establishment of divine justice, God is going to set up six different cities of refuge, where the guilty, condemned sinner 
may run and find asylum. Six cities of refuge. And you go, wait a minute. If divine justice demands death, why would a holy God that is just set up a way, a means by which you, by which you can find an asylum from that judgment? It would seem contradictory. But because God wants to establish mercy within that. And it's powerful. The mercy of God doesn't absolve us from our sin. The mercy of God shelters us from the judgment of God. And it provides the guilty sinner an asylum from divine judgment. If we were to do a study on just on mercy and grace, we can t- see two sides of the same God, but different displayed aspects within that. But we're going to focus on mercy today, because I think it's important for us to understand what mercy really looks like within this. And God has given us this example of of God's mercy, which is God's kindness and gentleness to shelter the guilty from His divine wrath. It's a powerful, powerful message here in these nine verses that we find in Joshua chapter 20. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through this passage, these nine verses. We give respect to God's Word. Joshua 20, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there, and they, may, and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. And he shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city and to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. And now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then he shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and didn't hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is a high priest in those days. And then the manslayer shall return to his own city, to his own house, to the city from which he fled. And so they set apart Kedesh in the Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, which that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness and the plain of the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel and for the strangers who sojourned among them, that whoever kills any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, until he stands before the congregation. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And you, you read through it, and you might read through it in your Bible, read through and go, okay, well, yeah, this is the avenger of blood, and this is all Near East stuff, and, and all this stuff. And, and it really doesn't apply to me, but it does. Because everything that God does, again, with the nation of Israel, even to the events today, display his glory. 
and the attributes that are there. And the one thing that we can see in verses 1 through 3 is that God is our refuge. God is our asylum. God is establishing for, for these people a place to run to when you're guilty. God says, here is when you know you are guilty, you are declared guilty, this is a place that you can run to within this. Now, it was initiated by God to be able to uh, set up the land. Joshua has completed by this time the distribution of all of the lands to the 12 tribes that are all there. All the designations are all there. And we finished that last week. But now there's two things that are left to be done. One is the cities of refuge, and the other is to declare the cities of the Levites. Six cities of refuge that are designated and 48 cities. And I want to show you a map that is there. So when we talked about the cities, there's Kedesh in the north. That's of Naphtali. Then there is Shechem, that is here in West Manasseh in the middle, Hebron in the south. And then we have Golan here in East Manasseh, Ramoth Gilead, that's here in the corner of Gad, and Bezer, that is here. Now, what do you see when you look at that map? You see six cities that are distributed, three on one side, three on the other. Why? Well, because God had established these as a place of refuge throughout the land. And he instructed Moses to set up these places intentionally as part of the social structure and the theocratic structure for the nation of Israel. This was going to be part of their system. In Numbers chapter 35, verse 2, it says this, Command the sons of Israel that they give to the Levites from their inheritance of their possession to the city to live in. And you shall give the Levites the pasture lands that are there. And then he said, set up the cities of refuge... 35, verse 6, And the cities that you shall give to the Levites shall be six cities of refuge, which you shall give for the manslayer to flee to, and in addition to them you shall give them 42 cities. So one of the aspects is, God says, you get, Levites, you get 48 cities. Why? Because they're the priestly tribe. So we have God in the center of 46 cities, or basically 46 worship centers that are there. Access to God through, or I'm sorry, 48 48 different worship centers throughout the land. Amongst those 48, six cities are going to be also be managed as cities of refuge that are there. So you have a Levitical city, which was a place of worship, that also doubles as a place where you can run and hide to. That means that the Levites are managing that city that is there. So it is going to be a theocratic city that is, that is managing this, this refuge, this place of asylum that is set up. And he says in Numbers 35, 10, and 11, he says, Speak to the sons of Israel, say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall select for yourselves cities to be your cities of refuge, that the manslayer who has killed any person, note, unintentionally may flee there. Now, did you catch that as we read through the text? What was the key element that would allow you entrance into and residence into a city of refuge. You, if, if you killed somebody, it had to be what? Unintentional or accidental within this. It had to be an accident. In other words, you didn't, you, it wasn't out of malice. It wasn't like you hated them and then went and killed them. It, it was accidental within this. And so the purpose of the city was if someone accidentally killed somebody, 
without premeditation, without malice, they had a place to run to. Question, if you accidentally kill somebody, are you still guilty of murder? Yes. But you didn't do it intentionally within this. The standard was found in Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 to 14. It says this, He who strikes a man so that he dies surely shall be put to death. That's manslaughter. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to where he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. From my altar. If they would run and they grabbed a hold of the altar of God, but they premeditated in killing somebody, they couldn't even find refuge by grabbing a hold of the horn of the altar. If you ran in, you grabbed the horn of the altar and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you premeditated and killed somebody, yard them off and kill them. There was only two standards of, of murder. There was the accidental manslaughter that was there, and then there was homicide. In our culture today, I don't even, I can't even imagine how many forms that we've dumbed this down to. God made it very simple. You either intended to do it or you didn't do it. Regardless of the fact, you took a life. You're guilty within this. And so this whole section of Exodus and the law and, the, and everything that we find in the city of refuge is setting up the standard by which Israel would govern and should govern the people concerning manslaughter and capital punishment. That premeditated murder was punishable by death. Accidental killing was not an instant capital punishment. But he would have to stand trial and he could find a place of refuge. But we're going to see that, that there was death ensued. That was part of this. And so Moses set up the three cities on the Transjordanian side. And then when they got in the land, Joshua set up these cities. But these cities were to be a city of refuge, a city of mercy. If you ran to the city, you're still guilty of what? Murder. It wasn't that when you got to the city that, that you were absolved. You were guilty within this. Embedded in God's law is the value of life. Today we call this sanctity of life. All life is sacred. All life. Even the unborn child. That life is sacred. Life begins at conception. Do not be deceived by the lies that are being told throughout the world today. And to take a life is murder in any way, shape, or form within that. And so embedded in God's law is this sanctity of life. We find in the... the the Ten Commandments, both in Deuteronomy 5.17, Exodus 20.13, a very simple com command. No killing. Do not kill. Very simple. Question, what does do not kill mean? Any lawyers in the room? It says do not kill, which means what? Do not kill. 
And, and whether you killed accidentally or intentionally, it was against God's law. Now, keep in mind, this is the personal relationship, relationship aspect that starts at the foundation of the society. Do not kill. You say, well, Carrie, what about war? In war, there will be a designation in order to be able to take life. Israel has already come into Canaan land and was commanded to kill. And you say, well, doesn't, isn't that kind of a double standard? No, it is not. Because remember, divine justice and mercy are both attributes of the glory of God. And if God designates the fact in His divine justice that there, was, there is a situation where a national army needs to exhibit this justice, then you have to do that. And it is there. But at the very foundational principle... All life must be held sacred and valued. We are created in the image of God. The Israelites were sent into the land to, to destroy the enemies of God. As you take apart that word killer in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is rosek. Rosek is this idea of a premeditation and accidental. It's a general term that that is within this. In the Ten Commandments, that we have this, we have a rosh. Rosh is a is a word for just general killing within this. What is God saying in the Ten Commandments? He's saying this: Mankind is not allowed to take the law into his own hands and take the life of another. That if there is a a taking of a life, it must be divinely directed, either by divinely given law or by, by God's voice, specifically as it, as it would be according to the prophets and such that is within that land. And according to the law, it's also divinely given, and God would give directions of the lives that should be taken according to His divinely given law. Are you with me? Man cannot interpret the situation in his own and say, well, I think that this should happen and then take a life. That is not for us to do. All life is given by God and all life is controlled by God. We must submit to God. So you think about uh, uh, law enforcement personnel. If we have, a, law, if we have a, a police officer or a deputy and they have to take a life, they're doing it under the governess of God's divine standard within this because it's the law, part of the society, the same way that Israel would take out the Canaanites or that they would destroy those that, that were destroying them as we see even in the, in the land today. And it's interesting that we're at this passage today in light of what's going on in Israel. It is a social law that keeps the peace within the land and keeps the control. And God demands justice for the shedding of innocent blood. How do we know that? Because the law mandates it. Notice in Deuteronomy 19, verses 11 to 13, says this, But if there is a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities... Then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. You shall not pity him. You shall not, or I'm sorry, you shall not pity him, 
but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel that it may go well with you. Why? Because the innocent blood went into the soil and contaminated the lamb within this. The shedding of innocent blood required divine retribution within this. And there was no atonement made for someone who was premeditative in their murder. No atonement. No ransom. They were guilty. Yet this city of refuge was set up as a refuge from, note, the avenger of blood. Now, when we look at this, who is the avenger of blood? God allowed the avenger of blood to pursue the one that took the life of their close relative. The term that is used for the avenger of blood, and some of you are going to hear this word and you're going to go, I know that word. Have you ever heard the term goel? Kinsman redeemer? It's the same word. In other words, the law allowed a kinsman redeemer in a, to be an avenger of blood. In other words, someone who was a close relative. So if someone killed my brother... I would be or could be designated as the avenger of blood by law and hunt that person down and kill them. Whether it was premeditated or unintentional. Because the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, by designation and definition, is one who sets everything to be restored. A kinsman redeemer is, on behalf of the tribe, a restorer. We know that in the book of Ruth, right, there was a kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer was to restore the land back to the family that was there. So he's a restorer within this. We know that Jesus is often referred to as our kinsman redeemer or also our goel. In Numbers chapter 35 verse 19 it says, The blood avenger himself shall, be, shall put the murderer to death and he shall put him to death when he meets him. Now again, you've got to understand, this is a theocratic government. God ruled, God's in charge, and He is qualifying the sanctity of life. So He sets up a law that will cause people to second-guess what they're about to do. Is it really worth me taking that life and having somebody come after me? Is it really worth me going out and just randomly killing somebody, knowing that I'm going to have all these people from that family come and kill me within this. And so there is this, this position that is there where God legalizes this avenger of blood to come after them. Why? Because the person is guilty. That's divine justice. What Israel is doing today in going into Gaza really is embedded in this law of avenger of blood within this. To go in and to take out those that are, that are premeditated the death of so many. Now, we look at this and we go, well, how does this apply to us today? Premeditated murder is sin. Would we all, all agree with that? That was an intentional action. We call that a sin of commission. 
In other words, you knew it was wrong and you did it anyways. Did mankind intentionally sin against God? Did mankind intentionally do something wrong and violate God's law? Knowing it was wrong? Absolutely. Now, one of the things that we see in this is that the city of refuge sets up a place of mercy, but it's a place of mercy for those that are condemned. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we have divine justice, and then we also can see that there is a, a refuge and and mercy and grace through Jesus where He offers this gift. And God demands justice for sin. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Man intentionally disobeyed God. It says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day of, that you eat from it you shall surely what? Was God... A little clouded when he explained that? Was, was he not quite clear enough? All these trees you get to eat, but the tree in the middle of the garden, what tree? That tree right there. The one in the middle, it's not hidden, it's right there. Don't eat. That tree? Yeah, that tree. What did they do? Ate of the tree. They knew better. It was an intentional sin. It was a sin of commission. And as I said, premeditated murder is a sin of commission. It's an intentional act. When we commit a sin of commission, we are basically thumbing our nose at God, going, yeah. To you, God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's a sin of commission. I know that I shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it anyways, God. That is an intentional act, sin of commission that is there. Adam and Eve intentionally sinned at God. And under the Old Testament law, there was no sacrifice for a sin of commission. Numbers chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. But the person who does anything, note, defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off and his guilt will be on him. Is there any question about that? The one that... Yeah, God. God says, your sin is on you and you get what you get. Divine justice. New Testament, we also see God's divine judgment against the life that's disobedient. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Note, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's a powerful verse. That means if you know that what you're doing is sin, and you keep doing it, there is no sacrifice for your sin. Why? Because you've never accepted the free gift of God. You've never accepted that forgiveness to begin with. You're just doing whatever you can. You say, well, I, I call myself a Christian. 
You can call yourself an elephant. It doesn't mean you're an elephant. The reality is this. You can't thumb your nose at God and think that there is not going to be a judgment that comes with that. And so within this, we see that there is no sacrifice. But what about when I mess up unintentionally? That's called the sin of omission. The sin of omission. In other words, you really didn't know you shouldn't do this. You really didn't know that it was in this place. You really weren't aware that this was a sin. Or it was an unintentional action that, that you committed. The law allowed for atonement for the sins that were committed by accident or without intention. In other words, reaction. Just a reaction that was there. The accidental. Numbers chapter 15, verses 22 to 24 says this, But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, even all that the Lord has commanded you through Moses, from the day when the Lord gave commandments and onward through your generations, then it shall be, if it is done unintentionally, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bull for a burnt offering, one soothing aroma for the Lord, it's with grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinances, and one male goat for the sin offering. I thank God that we do not have this system anymore because I would be doing barbecue all the time. How many times do we unintentionally violate God's word and God's law? Often. We do that. Is there atonement for that? The answer is yes. There is. As a Christ follower, I have been forgiven. Will I continue to mess up? Yep. Does the blood of Jesus continue to cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. We are all guilty of the sin of commission worthy of death. Because we are born into that sin. Throughout. And in, apart from Jesus, we would remain under judgment. But Jesus gives us grace. Paul would write in Romans 3, 10 to 12, There is none righteous, not even one. There is not one who understands. There is none who seek God. For all have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Everyone's guilty under the sin of commission and the original law. So what do we do? We run to the cross. We run to the cross as our refuge. We run to God and we plead for mercy. We run to God knowing that I'm a sinner. And the first prayer that, that the sinner confesses is, God, please forgive me. I am a sinner. Will you show me mercy? And God says, yes, I will show you mercy. And I will also show you grace. If you trust in my Son, I will give you eternal life within this. And God is that, that refuge and that strength for us. In verses 4-6, through six, He says, He'll flee to one of these cities and stand at the entrance of the gate and, and state His case within this. What motivates the, the, the killer to go to the city of refuge? Number one, I know I'm guilty. Number two, my guilt 
will lead to my destruction. So what do I do? I run to the city gates and I plead my case to the elders. When the killer would arrive to these city gates, one of these city gates, the city gate was kind of like the courthouse, the, the community center, everything that happened there. The elders would meet there regularly. He'd come running up out of breath. Why? Because he knows the avenger of blood's after him. He comes up and he says, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. My ox was pulling the cart and, he, and, and my neighbor came over and then my ox reared up and he stomped him and he gored him and he, he was dead. And I realized I, I, I didn't mean to do it. I, I, and he would plead his case. And then the elders would say, okay, this is a city of refuge. You may come in and then we'll have a formal hearing in front of the congregation to be able to determine where you're at. When the avenger of blood would come up, he would say, I can't go after him. Why? He's protected by mercy. I can't pursue him within this. The elders would, would, would lead. I think it's important to understand, all of the cities were led by elders and it was a plurality of leadership. It wasn't just one person. It was a plurality of leaders. And they would determine this guilt and innocent. And they would, they would be in that place where they would protect him. As we read through 4 through 6 within this, and this, this person could stay there protected. If he ever left the city, was he fair game? Absolutely. If he left the city of refuge, he was fair game for the avenger of blood. You say, well, does he have to spend the rest of his life there? Good. The law stated that he would be protected by mercy in the city of refuge as long as the high priest was alive. It was a statute of limitations. In the statute of limitations that was there, that he was guilty and he was covered by the high priest's life of the high priest as long as he was alive. But when the high priest died, then he was set free completely and he could return back home. In other words, there was, there was a timeline and the, the avenger of blood couldn't come after him. It's common in our culture today when a president or governor leaves office, what do they usually issue before they leave? Pardons. What is a pardon? It's an act of mercy. Do I agree with all the pardons? Not necessarily. But they do. It's a practice that's found its way into our culture even today within this. But for us today, what do we find? We find that God's mercy is a place of refuge. Do you realize that as a sinner that, that is saved by the mercy and the grace of God that you are under a place of refuge? The avenger can't get to you? Satan can't destroy you within this? We find God's mercy is this place of, of, of refuge and strength within this. You say, well, Carrie, what do I do with this? I want to give to you an illustration. You all know the story about King David and his sin with Bathsheba, right? King David should have been out with his army, didn't go out with his army, up on the rooftop, looking at his kingdom, and he's looking down from the city of David on the rooftops that go down below, and he looks and he goes, whoa, hello. 
There's a woman taking a bath. And with lust in his heart, he goes after Bathsheba, has a relationship with her, and has a child with her, ends up sending Uriah, her husband, through a period of time of, of trials, of trying to hide his sin, can't, sends Uriah out to the front lines, and Uriah is killed. You can read all about that in 2 Samuel within this. Was David guilty of murder? Was David guilty of premeditated murder? Absolutely he was. Should David had left his position as king and gone to a city of refuge, running from Uriah's family, who should have had an avenger of blood to come after him? In the strictest sense, absolutely he should have. What's different about David? One, he doesn't run. Two, God is the avenger of blood. And you can't run from the avenger of blood, God. You say, well, Carrie, what do you mean? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, we see David being, or in chapter 12, David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, and you can read about it. But David does something as the avenger of blood through the prophet Nathaniel coming to him, or Nathan, coming to him. And David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has taken away your sin and you shall not die. Well, the first thing he says is, I have sinned against God. What is he doing? He's throwing himself on the mercy of God. Not a city of refuge. Directly on the mercy of God. Nathan says, God has taken away your sin. But did David's confession remove the wrath of God? No. The avenger of blood. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, Nathan says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me. There's that word, thumbing your nose. Because you've despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. And people struggle with that. They say, well, wait a minute. That's not right. Why did the baby have to die? Because God is just. And here we see divine justice and divine mercy working together simultaneously. Within this. And God showed mercy to David, and David would write about it in Psalm 57 1. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes what? Refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. We all will sin. And we all will sin, sometimes intentionally. Or unintentionally. And God has to judge sin. But God also by His own character will show mercy. And show grace when we run to Him. And how do we run to Him? Through Jesus. In the Old Testament, the believers found refuge in Jesus as their high priest. It was the promise of the Messiah. Every Old Testament believer found refuge in, in Jesus. Every New Testament believer finds refuge in the death of Jesus. You know when Jesus, our high priest, died on the cross? We were set free. 
the Old Testament believers were bound to live under the promised mercy of God through Jesus. New Testament believers have now been set free because mercy of God has been given to us through Jesus, our high priest, who died on the cross for our sins, and now we are free. And whom the Son sets free, He is what? Free indeed. Free indeed. Within us. Lastly, how close is refuge? Refuge is right in front of you. God established these cities of refuge strategically. That each city of refuge was no more been a day's journey for most of the cities that are there. We have a map that I want to show you with concentric circles that are there. These are estimated day's journeys that are there. So if you lived within this circle, you could make it to Hebron, Bezer, Shechem, Ramoth, Gilead, Golan, Kedesh. You could make it to those cities in a day's journey that was there. If you lived in this city right here, you better run really fast. Within this. And we see those cities. Each city was spaced out. Why? Because God wanted refuge reachable to everyone. Do you know today that refuge is reachable to you? And it's not by running to a specific city. But it's by running to God in prayer. And saying, God, please forgive me, a sinner. God has set apart not a city, but a person. His name is Jesus. He is our refuge and our strength in times of trouble. He's a prayer away. When you realize that you have violated or even thumbed your nose at God, do you know that today you can run to Him and He will show mercy? Will He remove all of the judgment? Maybe not. You may have to suffer the consequences of of your decision. But whomever calls upon the name of the Lord, the promise is what? You will be saved. Run to God. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that You've given to us this place of refuge, this strength, that You are our refuge, and we can run to You. God, that You are always available to us. You've brought Yourself near to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Within a prayer, we can be in Your presence. And even though... In divine justice, there is a a retribution for our sin. We could be saved from that when we find our life in You. Lord, I pray that we would run to You and we would find You as our peace and strength. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's all stand and close with a song.
God, I pray that that when we run to You, we will find that mercy that You freely offer. Lord, this morning as so many people are maybe carrying the guilt and the shame of their sin, looking over their shoulder, wondering and worrying when that, that justice is going to come their way. May they find shelter in You and peace in Your presence, finding mercy and receiving grace. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You offer it freely to anyone who comes. 
And whoever comes to you, you will in no wise cast out. We praise you and we thank you for that, that confidence and that peace. May we take that message to those that are in the world that so need it. And we thank you for our time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed Thanks week. for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.